The New Testament lesson is found in John chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Did anything in this uh, story strike you as odd, sort of incongruous? We're told here that Jesus let his loved one die. In fact, he makes a point of letting him die. At the same time, we're told uh, again and again that he loved Lazarus. So it wasn't as though he was indifferent to Lazarus and what was occurring to him. Nevertheless, he let Lazarus die. And if the Lord tarries, he'll let you and me die as well. And yet he loves us. What's this all about? What's going on? Well, I think this uh, account helps us to see what's going on, helps us to understand what is going on. I met a man once who denied that people who believe in Christ can die. I know it sounds odd, but there are people out there in the world who are 
kind of strange. And this guy was one of those people, and he really did believe that if you believed in Christ, you would not die. In other words, he took that statement that Jesus makes at the very end and says, there you go, lack of faith. Lack of faith, you die. And I said, well, you know, that means that basically only three people in the history of the human race had faith in God. You know, you had, you know, Melchizedek, you know, Enoch, um, you know, and you had Elijah. I mean, so does that exhaust it? Did even Christ lack faith? (laughs) Christ died for our sins. He went ahead of us into death in order to lead us out of it. But, well, I didn't, I don't think I made any headway with this guy. But, uh, but what? Does Jesus make of the death of his friend? We're told that Lazarus is a friend of the Lord. He loves him. As I noted, we're told that uh, repeatedly just in this passage, but we're also told later that he weeps. The shortest verse, you know, in, in you know, Scripture is a Scripture that refers to Jesus weeping. We're told that Jesus wept over the death of his friend, Lazarus, even though even though he was the author of life, even though he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. I come across people somewhat like my friend who denied that you know, faith and death are compatible. I've come across people who believe that at a Christian funeral we shouldn't feel bad. You've come across people like this, that this should just be a home sending, that we shouldn't have any mourning at a Christian funeral. That's a, a bit odd, I think. I mean, at least we should say goodbye and, and feel a lot, sense of loss when it comes to the departure of our loved ones. But Jesus didn't have any reservations uh, to keep him from weeping at the loss of his friend Lazarus, even though in just moments he was going to raise him from the dead. I think that says something about the fact that we're permitted to mourn and that mourning is not evidence of a lack of faith. It's actually evidence the presence of love. So with those things in mind, let me reflect a little more on this. When he gets the news, he waits. Did you notice that in verse 6? Um, and he's almost chided a little bit by Martha when he does show up, and she says to him, if you had been here, this would not have happened. I don't know. I mean, we're told in the verses that follow that she's a woman who loves the Lord and has strong faith. Nevertheless, do you hear a little hint, a little indication of, like, some disappointment? (laughs) You know, where were you when we needed you? Uh, Here we were, Lazarus was dying, and uh, you weren't here to prevent that from happening. In fact, we're told that Jesus waits, and the implication, it's not stated explicitly, but I think it's hard to miss, that he wanted to make sure that he was dead by the time he got there. Wanted to make sure he was good and dead because he had a purpose that he was seeking to pursue. And, you know, just so you know that I'm not making it all up, just look at verses 14 and 15. So why? Why? Why does Jesus wait? Why does Jesus allow Lazarus to die? We're told at different points in the story that it was so that we could believe and that God would be glorified and that the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified in the resurrection of Lazarus. That's why Jesus waited. That's why Jesus let him die. Um, And that's something to keep in mind when we think about our own lives as well. Barring the return of Christ, which would prevent the occasion of our death, we will die, and the Lord will let us die. Why? So that we are a means by which God is glorified. Through what? The resurrection. 
something that we have as believers in Christ to look forward to. Now, we can't see what's going on on the ground. It's a lot like what you see in Saving Private Ryan. I don't know if you recall that film about D-Day. It's a film with Tom Hanks and a number of other well-known A-list celebrity types from Hollywood. Uh, But it's a a story about a guy whose last name is Ryan, and uh, he's uh, one son among several sons of a woman who's lost all of her other sons uh, in the course of the fighting. And so there's a special mission that some men are sent on to save Private Ryan so this woman will not be left without anyone in her family. And uh, so the story unfolds, of course, but it begins with the account of D-Day. And I think what makes that account so striking is we're not given a a bird's eye view. We're not given the view from the drone that's up, you know, a few hundred feet, but we're given the view of what it was like to be on the ground or in the landing vehicles. And just the fog of war, this, the confusion, the, the, the shooting, the death that, that people experienced, these soldiers as they were uh, let out upon the beaches um, and were greeted immediately with gunfire, killing, you know, numbers of them. That's what it's like to be on the ground as a human being. Every day, we're surrounded by death. We're surrounded by casualties. We're surrounded by the fog of a spiritual conflict, and we, da- we can't see what's going on. We don't have that bird's-eye view. We're not like you know, Dwight D. Eisenhower, who's looking at the assault from miles away with some binoculars. But that's God's view, and God is pursuing his purposes, and there are purposes that are being pursued, even though we can't make sense of anything at the moment. Just because you don't know what's going on doesn't mean something's going on or not going on. Something is going on. God is pursuing his glory. In the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the craziness and insanity of the experiences that you're you're going through right now, there is something that God is up to. And throughout the course of the story of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the gospel, we can see that at different points, the disciples themselves couldn't see what was going on. They were lost in the fog. We're told uh, that Jesus alludes to his purposes here, and they're still kind of in the fog. They don't know what to make of what he's saying. He speaks figuratively, and they misunderstand. You see that uh, beginning in verse 7. Let me, let me just read to you to remind you how the story goes. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day... If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him, meaning die like Lazarus. So they misunderstand. Uh, Jesus speaks figuratively. They're literalists in terms of the way they think. They can't see what he's up to, can't sort of interpret what he's Uh, driving at when he says Lazarus has fallen asleep. Then he speaks to them about as plainly and directly as possible, and they still miss the point. You ever feel that way, like you're just kind of dense? You can't get the point. You miss the subtleties. 
And then when people speak to you just directly, you still miss the point. I feel like that a lot. Uh, And in the course of our lives, uh, that's the way it can be because we're in the fog of this conflict. It's not entirely clear what God is up to and what things mean. Now, when we think about D-Day, when we think about that, we can take some consolation in the fact that there were survivors, that there were some men who survived that conflict and lived for many years and commemorated it and told us about what it was like. Uh, But there's a difference between those folks and us, barring the return of the Lord. There will be no survivors. We will all die. I I know that you come to church not to hear that. (laughs) Thank you for the encouraging word, Pastor Chris, reminding me of my death. Well, I'm going to get to the encouraging word in a minute, but one of the things that we see that characterizes the world that we live in is, is there's a very studious effort that is uh, in, at work in all of the entertainment media that surround us and bombard our senses all the time to get us to forget that, to sort of anesthetize us so that we don't have to think about this reality. The Lord wants us to think about this reality. Wisdom begins with this assessment of reality, but that's not where it ends. We don't actually find ourselves in a kind of attitude of stoic resignation like you see with Thomas here. Now, how would you like to be remembered like Thomas is remembered? Doubting Thomas. Thomas the downer. Thomas the guy that always sort of said, well, here we go again. Uh, I don't believe unless I see. Uh, And in this moment, you get this sense of stoic uh, resignation, I should say. Uh, Well, I guess we're going to die. Well, let's go. What can you do? What can you say? Life is like a train. Death is the destination. There's no getting off. Here we go. (laughs) That's basically the wisdom of the world. But what we see in Christ is truth from above, coming to us from outside the world. And that's the thing that we remember on this day and really every Sunday. Have you ever wondered why Christians worship on Sunday and not Saturday? I mean, after all, the Sabbath was instituted uh, and it's Saturday, right? Why do Christians worship on Sunday? Well, it's because of the resurrection. Christ was raised the first day of the week. So Christians got into the habit of remembering the resurrection of the Lord, and they did it in this really interesting way. They would go to graveyards, sing hymns, and sort of proclaim what seemingly was impossible, that, the, that the, there was going to be a day when the dead would be raised. And that's why Christians worship the Lord on Sunday, and why really every worship day, every Lord's Day is an Easter for us. It's great that we have, you know, this day to worship and remember the resurrection of the Lord, but we really ought to remember the resurrection of the Lord every Sunday because we wouldn't gather at all if it wasn't for that. And by the way, that's what the responsive reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is intended to convey. Unless Christ was raised, we're still in our sins. Christ's resurrection makes a huge difference today. It points to a future, but it makes a difference right now for you and for me. Now, why is it so hard to believe in the resurrection? Um, Jesus turns uh, to Martha and asks her directly in verse 26, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I mean, if you really believe this, it'll make a... Enormous difference, not in, just in terms of how you see the future and the end of your life, but how you live your life today it makes a huge difference if you believe this. 
Why, it's, why is it so hard to believe? What is it uh, that uh, makes it hard to believe? I think it has a lot to do with what we take for granted. Um, what we take for granted is the existence that we enjoy right now. But we lose sight of the fact there was a time where there was no you or me. The Lord has really brought us, each of us, into existence out of nothing. We are celebrating the birth of a couple of children in our congregation, and we have more children on the way, and we're really glad for that. But there was a time when they were not, not even an idea. You know, I can remember when my children were not part of my life. I had no idea who they would be, what they would be like. Uh, They were just, you know, hopes and dreams. And now they're real. How did they come into being? Did I, through the power of my fatherhood, bring them into being? That's kind of laughable if you think about it, right? It's God who brings each of us into being out of nothing. And we take this for granted. And the reason we take it for granted is just because it's just habit to think in these terms. It's just this is what we've always seen and what we assume will always be the case. But what's more difficult? What's more difficult, to bring something into, into being out of nothing or to bring something back into being after it has departed? Pascal, one of the great thinkers in the history of Western civilization, Blaise Pascal, for whom the language Pascal was named, the guy who uh, invented a calculator to help his father with his tax work. I mean, a guy that was just like, you know, he was right up there with Mozart and Einstein in the history of the West, just one of the great minds. He wrote a book of apologetics called Thoughts, just things that occurred to him. His conversion is a remarkable thing. He was converted had made such a profound influence upon him or had such a profound influence on him, he wrote down in his journal and described the conversion. Starts off with just one word, fire. And then it's followed by the word joy 70 times. And then he wrote, I have found him, not the God of the philosophers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he carried that entry in his journal over his heart in his coat, sewed into his coat for the rest of his life. But in his thoughts, Pensee, he said this, What reason have they for saying that we cannot rise from the dead? What is more difficult, to be born or to rise again? That what has never been should be, or that What has been should be again. Is it more difficult to come into existence than to return to it? Habit makes one appear easy to us. Want of habit makes the other impossible. We're just in a habit of thinking about things in a certain way. There's nothing in the dictates of reason to make this unreasonable. The only thing that makes it seem unreasonable is we're not acquainted with it. And the reason we're not acquainted with it is because we have yet yet to be raised. How did the world come to be at God's command? We see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Let there be light, and there was light. And then creation follows in a workmanlike, orderly way, and life follows light. And we're told... 
in the Gospel of John, in the first five verses, that something uh, uh, is occurring in the work and ministry of Christ that should bring all of this to mind and help us to see that a new creation is being formed. Let me read to you these, these uh, uh, words here from the opening to John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you notice the connection between light and life? That's what's being brought to our attention in verse 9 here in chapter 11 when Jesus says, Are, not, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. And he, by the way, he said that back in chapter 8 in John's Gospel. I am the light of the world and life and light co-reside in Christ. And that's why he has the power to raise the dead. just want to say a few things in conclusion. Have you ever thought about what came next for Lazarus? I remember hearing a sermon one time from a preacher who said that uh, probably Mary and Martha had already redecorated his room and repurposed it for something else. And there he is inconveniently coming back home. Kind of mixed feelings, I suppose. (laughs) Moving back into the house. He did die again, though. And that's something to recall. When Christ raised him, he gave him a few more years, but he dies again. We're not told when or how or or where, but I think it's safe to assume that's the case, unless you know some guy named Lazarus who's walking around. Since that's the case... Something for us to keep in mind that something that's going on here is quite different than what we're looking forward to as Christians in terms of a resurrection. What we're looking forward to as Christians is what occurred with Christ. Christ was raised and Christ didn't die again. In Christ, those who have his life and look forward to the resurrection that we can enjoy in him are not just simply looking for resuscitation. What we're looking for is eternal life, looking forward to that. Life that doesn't fade or pass away. And those who believe in him, in Christ, and are in Christ because they're united to him, have that resurrection to look forward to. Eternal life in his presence. There have been many wise uh, people in the history of our world, and they've written a number of things that have some value. Not value in the sense that we see uh, Christ's words possessing, but nevertheless, there's some value. And Socrates and Cicero both agreed that the purpose of philosophy is to prepare to die. I think they're of the same school of thought as Thomas, <laughs> that basically the story ends with death, and that's what you're preparing for. But what the Lord Jesus reveals to us in the resurrection of Lazarus and in his own resurrection, as we are preparing for something different, very different, 
life. We study to prepare to live. We start living today when we believe in Christ and God grants us the power of life by the presence of his spirit in our lives. And we're in the school of life, even though you're outwardly wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day, growing up into him who is our head. And there will be a day, that great getting up morning day, when we will hear the voice of Christ the same way that Lazarus heard the voice of Christ that day. Our names will be pronounced, and then we will hear the command, rise. And we will. And that is the gospel. It makes an enormous difference. Victory over sin, victory over death, and glory forever is what we look forward to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Christ, who is our Savior. Thank you for the gospel. It's because of the gospel that there are stories in the world with happy endings. Without the gospel, there is no happy ending, just death. Help us to remember that. In Christ's name, amen.